Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on this your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning, my friends. Welcome to uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. That's what it was. Oh, man. That was the best decision I've made in years uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, Taking yesterday off, coming back from Fairbanks. Um, Mostly because I went down there to run a show and came back with a brand new dog. So that was like a whole... Man, I'll tell you what, it was uh, interesting, interesting stuff. He's behind me here on the floor of the studio hanging out with me this morning. So uh, it's been uh, it's been an interesting day, and uh, I'm excited about it. So anyway, uh, here we are in uh, first day of my week, a Tuesday, and that means uh, the weekly top three. Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets is waiting in the wings. We've got Chris Story, who's going to be joining us in hour two. And uh, there's just a lot of stuff going on. So I think we should just get started with it. It was. I hope your weekend was great. Normally, I get a chance on Monday to kind of recap how you guys all did. But uh, since we're right into it, let's just uh, get things going. we got a lot of stuff to cover in the weekly top three today. Let's jump into it with Brad Keithley <clears throat> from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, and we'll see what uh, he has to say. Good morning, Brad. How are you, my friend? A new dog. I know. I, I've I've seen the pictures. That's that's a great dog. Yeah, no, I was, uh, I, you know, it was just one of those things where, uh, you know, I lost Ruger about two years ago. And uh, I've been thinking, oh, you know, I, I, one day, one day. And it just so happened that the stars all aligned. And uh, a friend of mine um, happened to have a Boston Terrier, which is my dog of choice. And, uh, they, it was just getting to be too much with the dogs that they had and the kids and the time frame. And next thing you know, I'm a new, I'm a new dog dad. So, uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's been, it's been exciting, uh, here the last uh, day or so. So anyway, uh, Mr. Keithley, uh, welcome to the program and thanks for coming in. Brad Keithley, of course, with Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, an organization dedicated to try and bring us back from the fiscal brink of insanity. And uh, he's got uh, three big topics that uh, he wants to talk about today. Number one, Brad, which is I had to laugh because it is this seems to be the new prevalent belief that somehow, some way it was the PFD that's causing the ERA problem, the earnings reserve account problem, the lack of state funding. It's the P has nothing to do with anything else. It's always just the PFD. Give me the give me the rundown here. Well, Michael, that uh, the Permanent Fund Board's proposal to merge the earnings reserve account with the Permanent Fund Corpus, essentially eliminating the earnings reserve and start taking draws against that against that combined account, continues to trouble me for for a number of reasons. I wrote a column on it uh, last week. Uh, my last Friday column in the Landmine was was on that subject and showed how 
that proposal uh, under certain conditions could drain the PFD or drain the permanent fund. Uh, indeed, uh, by 2050, drain it entirely under certain conditions. So um, I, I, I keep thinking about it different ways. The, 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 the theme, as you just mentioned, that it's the PFD that's causing the problem um, is instead of, instead of other things, uh, led me to dig into it another way. And I did a, I did a chart uh, on it and did some analysis on it over the weekend. That'll be the subject of the column I have uh, this coming Friday in the landmine. But I wanted to preview it a little bit uh, here on the show. Um, so I looked at, uh, at, at two, at, at the earnings, um, at the earnings reserve, the, the use of the earnings reserve from two standpoints. One, how much had gone to the inflation proofing and the other at how much, how much had gone to the PFD. Both of those statutes, both the inflation, both the inflation proofing payment and the permanent fund dividend are statutes are provided by statutes. They're provided in the same section of the Alaska code. They are parallel uh, essentially in their operation, the, the instructions to the legislature or the instructions uh, of how you administer those are the same. You're supposed to draw a certain amount for the for inflation proofing and you're supposed to draw a certain amount for uh, for the PFD. And uh, they're supposed both supposed to come from the earnings reserve account. And that's how the that's how the statute set up to operate. So I looked at since 2017. Since the legislature started uh, cutting the PFD, underfunding the PFD, uh, I, I looked at how those two statutes have been treated, and and the results even surprised me a little bit. I hadn't I hadn't really thought through all this before, uh, all of the inflation proofing side before, and so when I ran these numbers and started putting numbers to paper, uh, the results uh, surprised me. Over the over that period from 2017 through 2023. The statutory inflation proofing payments should have been ten billion dollars. Ten billion dollars. That's what's the that's what the um, uh, the statutes provided for. If you apply the statute the statute related to inflation proofing, that's what it says uh, that the that the total amount calculating the numbers, the total amount should have been ten billion dollars. The total amount that should have gone to the to the PFD over that same period is thirteen point seven nine billion dollars. Uh, 13.8 billion dollars. Okay, so those are the statutory, those are the statutory amounts that that should have been paid. On the inflation proofing side of the 10 billion dollars uh, that should have gone, that should have been paid out of the earnings reserve to the to the inflation proofing, the legislature actually paid out 14 billion dollars, about Whoa. about Whoa. about four four billion dollars more uh, than than provided by than required by the statute. And they did that. If you've got the chart, we can throw it up while I'm, while I'm explaining it. If, yeah, let me they, pull it up. It, they did that by two four billion dollar ad hoc draws from the earnings reserve, one in FY20 and the other in FY22. They did that by two ad hoc draws, uh, four billion dollars each, eight billion dollars, um, and that uh, has resulted in overpaying the inflation proofing during that period. Uh, by uh, $4 billion. On the statutory PFD side, on the PFD side, uh, the amount that should have been paid is, thir is $13.8 billion. Of that, the legislature's only paid $7 billion, underpaying the statutory PD PFD by $6.75 billion. 
that's money that should have been pulled from the earnings reserve to go to the PF, to go to the to the permanent fund dividend that didn't get pulled. They got left in the earnings reserve, and that's that's the same amount that got pulled over to government instead. Got taxed out of the PFD and got paid out of government. So government was overpaid by six point seven five some six point seven five billion dollars uh, from the earnings reserve account. Inflation proofing was overpaid by $3.86 billion, $4 billion um, uh, uh, from, the, from the account. And there we go, that's, that's the chart. Um, so, the, so the amount on the inflation proofings on the left-hand side, the $10 billion that should have gone to the statutory PFD over the years 2017 to 2023 is in the left-hand column, the amount appropriated annually, and then those two ad hoc draws, special special uh, charges to the ERA uh, are uh, for the for the inflation proofing or in the next two columns, and the total is thirteen point nine billion dollars, fourteen billion dollars, an overpayment of uh, of three point nine billion dollars, thirty eight percent overpayment uh, overpull from the ERA uh, for inflation proofing over over that period of time, and then the PFDs on the right hand side. The statutory amounts that should have gone to the PFD, $13.8 billion, the amount that was appropriated, the single ad hoc uh, addition to it, the, the energy uh, rebate uh, in FY23 of $420 million. Total of, of $7 billion has gone to the PFD, an underpayment to the PFD of $6.75 billion, uh, an underpayment of roughly 50%, roughly 50% of the statutory uh, PFD uh, has been has been paid over that period. So you look at those numbers and you sit there going, okay, what's what's the what's the reason for what's going on with the ERA? If, if the ERA is being overdrawn, and this is the this is the permanent fund board's story uh, that the ERA is being overdrawn and that uh, it's in danger of running out of funds, and as a result, now we need to consolidate it with the permanent fund corpus so we can take the draw from from the two combined amounts. If the, if the ERA is over, being overdrawn such that we have this problem, what's causing it? Well, it sure as heck isn't the, isn't the PFD, which has been underpaid uh, by $6.75 billion uh, from 2017 through 2023, uh, underpaid by roughly 50%. It's the, it's the inflation, it's, it's the amount that went to government, uh, that 6.75 that went to government, plus that overpayment that went to government, plus the $4 billion, the roughly $4 billion, $3.86 billion, that's been overpaid to inflation-proofing during that period. Inflation-proofing isn't in danger. Inflation-proofing has a $3.86 billion surplus uh, over that period. So um, it's the whole narrative that's going on here is, uh, is Trump from the Permanent Fund Board is, is hugely troubling. I mean, the narrative right. is, look, we've got a problem. The problem is being caused by, by we got a problem with inflation proofing. We got a problem with the, with the fund not getting all the money it needs, all the, all the money to which it's entitled. We got to change it. We got to change the whole process uh, in order to, in order to deal with this problem. Well, the problem isn't there. The, the problem, they've, they've already overpaid it by $4 billion. So the problem isn't there. And the it, yeah, the problem, the problem is they've, they've overdrawn for inflation. proof. Well, and that's in black and white. And of course that doesn't even factor in the, the POMV formula is supposed to have a component baked into it to prevent that to, even if you, 
even if you didn't do additional inflation proofing, one of the selling points of SB 26 back in the day was that it would take care of that. So, I mean, this 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 whole thing is smoke and mirrors. Like I said, it's a it's an artificial crisis created to give them an opportunity to attach themselves directly to the corpus of the fund. Yep. And and it's it's a it's a I mean, this is stuff. This is stuff. Once you sit down, you go through the numbers. This is stuff that that comes right out of uh, the permanent fund, uh, permanent funds own uh, annual reports and their periodic uh, uh, updates that they do to those annual reports. Their annual, uh, their history and projections, uh, stuff that's available directly from the permanent fund. This is this is stuff that the press could easily have gotten their hands on, could easily have walked through, could easily right. have put together could easily have analyzed uh, as part of uh, testing the credibility, if you will, of the statements being made by the by the permanent fund board. But rather than do that, all they're doing is they're just taking the permanent fund board statements at face value without without testing their credibility and repeating those in the press and creating this sense of this sense of crisis out there that is just just wrong. Well, and now you've done all the work for him. James Brooks should be thanking you and going out there and and putting this uh, putting this chart out there. I mean, come on, this is again a thirty eight, almost thirty nine percent overpayment in inflation proving and a nearly fifty percent underpayment of the permanent fund. That should be headline news. Quite honestly, I mean, that should be something that somebody should be going, "Hey, look at this." And they're both statutes, Michael. I mean, we hear a lot about, oh, statutes don't mean anything for fiscal matters. You know, the legislature can do whatever it want. It wants. Well, okay, if you're going to start doing whatever you want, you at least should treat the similarly situated statutes the same. You shouldn't be giving a preference to one statute over and, and ignoring and ignoring another ignoring another statute. And these two statutes set side by side in the same section or subsections of the same section. Uh, in in Alaska code, and what they're doing is overpaying one uh, statute and underpaying uh, the other statute, and it's just I, it, it, it's sort of I mean the the more you dig into this, the more you think about you know testing the credibility of what the permanent fund board and Bert and others are saying. The more you think about it and the more you test the credibility, the more the story just evaporates. Right. In fact, the story, the story reverses. It's not, it's not the permanent fund's fault, not the permanent fund dividend's fault that, uh, that, that the ERA is in trouble. It's, it's these overpayments, specifically those two $4 billion uh, uh, ad hoc payments uh, that, have, that have drained the permanent fund down. Yeah. The, we did another, if anybody's interested, we did... We do uh, monthly charts um, looking at the information the permanent fund publishes on a monthly basis once they publish the the monthly updates to their financial statements. And that those will be coming out this morning. The, the, the permanent fund released that information yesterday. We did the analysis last night. Those charts will be coming out this morning. And it'll show again that the way the permanent fund is calculating the earnings reserve account and, and minimizing the level of the earnings reserve account just just doesn't hold water. I mean, right? They're they're throwing in all sorts. They're throwing in you know all sorts of adjustments and and reserves for future for future uh, draws to 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 press that press that amount down. But once you adjust for all those, the earnings reserve has something like twelve billion dollars of spendable money in it. So right. 
So um, the question becomes then you got two choices here. Either this is intentional or it's hubris of saying we know better than you how this money should be spent, essentially, when it's all said and done. Brad Keithley, Alaska's for Sustainable Budgets. That's number one. Number two is directly ahead, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Listened to by more staffers in Juneau than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Yeah. uh, I mean, essentially, Brad, that's the thing. This is either completely intentional. Or it is hubris and arrogance of, oh, well, we just know better than you. And so we're going to bamboozle you for your own good, essentially. We're going to do all this stuff to show you this so that we can put this money away for the future. That's kind of that, that's kind of how I uh, how I look at this. They're trying they're trying to create a case for constitutionalizing one of the statutes, the inflation proofing statute and not constitutionalizing the other, the permanent fund statute. And the narrative that they've come up with is, oh, the permanent funds over, the permanent funds causing all these, the permanent fund dividends causing all these problems, and and so we need to we need to you know ignore it, and we need to constitutionalize the inflation proofing because that's the good use uh, of 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 the money, and and you know and and the the argument is, look, it's all about future Alaskans. Well, <laughs> guess what? You're overpaying future Alaskans at the expense of current Alaskans. I get that you want to protect future Alaskans, but you're overpaying into the account that protects future Alaskans and you're, and you're underpaying, you're taking it out of the hides of, of, of current Alaskans, particularly specifically uh, middle and lower income Alaska families. So it's, it's, I mean, there's just, there's just, it, it, it's a, they're, they're, they want to get a narrative and they're, and they're creating, they're creating this narrative, but the facts don't, when you, when you test the credibility of the narrative, the facts just don't support the numbers. The permanent fund, permanent funds own numbers don't support uh, the narrative. And I, you know, last week I talked about. I, I think this I, this builds a case. This adds to the case for sunsetting the current permanent fund board because it's become too politicized, and and, right. and re-establishing a new permanent fund board, a much more professional, much less politicized permanent fund board. Uh, going forward. I kept that theme going for those that want to, you know, see how that sort of plays out. I kept that theme going uh, in the column I did last week uh, for the landmine. Um, and I'm going to keep it going, you know, for, I, I just don't trust them anymore. I mean, they're, they're manipulating right. numbers to yeah. fit a narrative, manipulating numbers yeah. to fit a narrative. Well, would you take, and just to break it down for the simple folks like me in the back, when you say, here's how much we have in the account now, and here's what our current spend is. Oh, by the way, here's what our future spend is without putting in the future deposits. That's like saying if you keep paying your rent, you know, with what you have in your account right now, you're going to be out of money in three months. Not counting the fact that your paycheck is going to go into the account every month for the next three months. That's essentially what they're doing, right? I mean, am I simplifying that well enough? Yeah, you are. You are. It's exactly right. They're 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 in the in the reports they do these monthly reports of the status of the of the accounts that's exactly what they're doing with the ERA they're they're taking out a full year's 
they're taking out a full year's uh, 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 expenditures POMV draw, and then they're taking out next year's. It's not just it's, it's not just not just a full year of this. Year. Well, so it's three months of revenue currently. It's three months of revenue, a full, and then and then and then and then offset against that, a full year's POMV draw, and then they add in next year's inflation proofing i guess they just didn't get it low enough the first with the first adjustment right the first myth adjustment they added in the second misadjustment and it's just i mean not even lbna buys that lbna uh alexi wrote a note one of lbna's notes uh, uh earlier this year says you know we don't we don't account for uh, what's going on in the permanent fund the same way that the permanent fund board does that the permanent fund uh, is is publishing because they'd be the thrown program. out of every accounting house in the country if they did it that way i mean essentially this is i mean yeah. this is all bs is essentially what it is they're trying to craft a narrative using these numbers and it's all just voodoo economics it's just all sorcery of saying we pick magical numbers out of the sky we don't account for deposits but we count for withdrawals and expenditures there you go I mean, that's the thing, right? Yep, that's that's a big piece of it. That's a big piece of it on these monthly numbers. Exactly yeah. right. All right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, our guest, we're going on to number two, uh, ready to jump into this. Number two is going to be about job creation. Let's get to it. Please like and share, like and follow. Uh, let's do all those, uh, let's, let's do all that stuff. Here we go, getting to it, The Michael Duke Show. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. That's right. Not your daddy. Although my daddy is in the chat room right now. Hey, daddy. How you doing? Um, all right. Let's uh, get to this number two of the weekly top three. We keep hearing about how government... Oh, all these plans and projects and things that they want to do for job creation. Um, I'll just say it right out front here. Government doesn't create anything. Government is a net consumer. Okay, that's just kind of how it all factors into the world. But they keep telling you how they need to be job creators. But it turns out <clears throat> they may not be the answer here because it may not be the problems that they think it is. Brad? Now, one of the one of the things that really bugs me uh, about political arguments, and this particularly comes up in the capital budget uh, when we go through the annual capital budget, but it also comes up when we talk about oil tax credits, uh, is it's important for the state to do these things in order to create jobs. That uh, that we need a capital budget in order to create all these construction jobs. We need to we need to have oil tax credits because we need all these North Slope uh, we need all these North Slope jobs. And, and and those aren't those aren't the only reasons they give, but but those are a big part of the emotionalism that goes on behind uh, behind behind these arguments. It also shows up occasionally in the operating budget. It showed up in the statewide uh, statewide budget as well when we were talking about a few years ago when we were talking about oil tax credits and eliminating oil tax credits. But it's but but it shows it shows up mostly in the capital budget. It's it's always about jobs, jobs, jobs. We need jobs. Government has to spend in order to, in order to create these jobs, essentially taking money out of the pocket of, in the case of PFD cuts, when you're using PFD cuts as a marginal source, essentially taking pockets out of middle and lower income Alaska families and shifting them 
over to over to these jobs, over to the people who who get these jobs. It's a cross subsidy from one set of Alaskans uh, to a, to another set of Alaskans. Um, so, okay, I, I usually argue with those, and but you know, people just sort of believe that we have to create these jobs. Government has to create these jobs, so we we just have the argument. We sort of go in circles, and then we go on to something else. There's an article um, that that I think is important, and there's a shift going on that I think is hugely important, uh, if in a number of respects, but in respect to this argument in particular. Um, and it's captured in uh, a headline in a story in Alaska Public Media. I think it's uh, I think similar articles are also in other uh, in uh, the other publications. But the headline says Alaska labor forecast calls for continuing shortages in workers as boomers as boomers age. And and basically the thrust of the article is. We just thought we thought all these job shortages, you know, not enough workers for the jobs that are posted out there. We thought that was, you know, for a while, we thought that was a temporary phenomena created by COVID and created by the comeback from COVID. We had all these we had all these government support support programs that had left a lot of dollars in people's pockets. Um, uh, and so they didn't have to immediately go back to work. And there were a variety of other COVID related reasons that were given for why there were labor shortages uh, in the economy coming out of COVID. The, this right. article uh, goes into uh, good coverage of an article that's in this this month's uh, labor trends that's put out by the Department of Labor, Alaska State Department of Labor, that says, you know, it, there's something else going on here and it's much deeper. Right. And that and that is that as boomers age, as, as the as the baby boomers are aging out of the workforce, as as you know, people reach sixty five or or whatever age they they decide to retire as the baby baby boomers, which is this huge demographic bubble in in our in our population. As this as this as the baby boomers age out, go into retirement or otherwise are no longer in the workforce for whatever reason, um, there aren't enough people left in the other generations uh, to fill the jobs. It's not it's not COVID related, not necessarily COVID right. related. It's not necessarily the younger generation just doesn't know how to work. It's just there aren't enough people. Right. Although uh, COVID did add to that because it caused many of the baby boomers to retire early, right? right. They reassessed right. their priorities and said, do I really want to participate in this madness or is now the time to pull the ripcord? And so many baby boomers retired early. Right. Right. And, and, and to that extent, it is COVID related, but it's more permanent than just once we get through COVID, everything goes back to where it was. It's These people are now gone. I mean, they, they may have left early or they... They may be leaving now, but they're gone. Um, and and so the question, yeah, you know, and so the 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 the, the worker force population is permanently shifting down as a result of the loss of the baby boomers. And and this article goes in to say, look, you know, this is this is a this is going to be a, a a new thing uh, that we're going to have worker shortages in the state of Alaska. There, I think there's one statistic in here that says there's two jobs. For every yeah. worker. Uh, that's the one that blew my mind. And that's a directly inverse to what it was in the early 2000s where, where there was two jobs or two workers for every job. Now there's literally two jobs available for every working age person in the state. In Alaska. This is yeah. not this is not a national number. This is this is focused on Alaska. So if that's the case, if that's the case, we don't if we ever did, and I would argue we didn't, because we were creating cross subsidies. I mean 
These jobs weren't free that the state was creating. They were coming out of somebody's pocket. And since 2017, they've been coming out of the pockets of middle and lower income Alaska families through PFD cuts. If we ever, if we ever needed government to be creating jobs, uh, that's gone. I mean, we, we, we now have too many jobs in the, in the private workforce. Uh, well, the private and public for, workforce combined. We have too many jobs for the number of workers we have out there. We don't need to be creating additional jobs on top of that because we're just exacerbating the problem. We're exacerbating the shortfall in workers in the in the uh, uh, in the in the private economy, we're 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 creating the government instead of solving a problem of creating jobs for people would be creating an additional problem by taking people out taking more people out of the out of the private workforce uh, to stick them uh, stick them to to stick them into the government jobs. So I think this whole argument that we that we hear regularly about, oh, it's important to create jobs, that we've got to have a capital budget to create jobs. We've got to have oil taxes to create, oil tax credits in part to create jobs. We've got to have this program or that program in part to create jobs. I think that's gone. Um, and, and, and I think we've, we've got a, we now have to recognize that there's a sea change that's gone on in the workforce that, that eliminates the need for government to have job creating, if there ever was a need, argue there wasn't, but if there ever was a need, <laughs> has eliminated the need for government uh, job creation. Programs. Right, because when, I, when do they succeed? When we hit three jobs to one person? I mean, you know, when is the success ratio at that point? And and again, I think Donna hits it hard. Ton, Donna, uh, Donna Arduin makes the comment. She goes, that argument is almost as bad as saying adding more government regulations creates jobs, regulator jobs. I mean, that's exactly, is that what we want? We want more government jobs uh, of jobs that are then created and paid for by taxes in an ever in growing growing bureaucracy, or do we want more roads and things like that where we've got crony capitalism where we've talked about these companies building entire business models on government spend? Is that what we want? I mean, really? Yeah. Well, it, if there there was a lot of debate that went on about that, a lot of good, a lot of arguments one way or the other. I won't say good arguments, but a lot of arguments one way or the other. But what I, my point is, that's all gone now. I mean, they're, they're creating creating government jobs exacerbates, doesn't help a situation. It exacerbates a situation of of having too many jobs out there for the number of employees. And and if government creates jobs and and pulls people from you know from the workforce to fill the to 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 work in the already unfulfilled jobs, it creates more jobs and pulls people out of that. They're exacerbating the problem that already exists over in the private sector of not having enough people to work these jobs. So it, I think it changes the whole dynamic of this argument uh, uh, going forward. And, and in a way that, in a way that I really hadn't, hadn't focused on until I read this article and then read the underlying uh, Alaska labor, uh, uh, the, the underlying magazine article, um, in labor trends uh, that that supports the article, it's just we, we've got we've got a we've got a sea change that's happened. Right uh, as as the boomers as the boomers exit the workforce, we've got a sea change that's happened, and we need to recognize that. Now maybe maybe the focus becomes we need good jobs, we need high paying jobs, right, uh, or we need something else. But but that's not uh, good lord. We don't need government to be out there, you know, creating additional high paying jobs because they're being subsidized by taking money out of 
middle and lower income Alaska families. If we got government that starts focusing on that, we're just making the middle and lower, just making the middle class uh, 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 more and more and more and more impoverished uh, by pulling money uh, out from underneath them. So it, 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 this whole argument that, 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 you know, I've dealt with my entire career now uh, on, on the fiscal side of government has to create these jobs because we got unemployment that's gone. And, and, right. and that's a, that's a big change. Yeah, no, that is a huge change. And I mean, I've argued against that whole premise for years, but now it becomes even more irrelevant because there are so many jobs available uh, in the private sector, but that's not going to stop them, Brad. I mean, if you think that facts is going to get in the way of their whole <laughs> mantra of job creation, I mean, come on, do you really think that that's going to be, they're going to go, oh, well, we should stop then. I mean, it, you know, because that would entail stopping the spending, right? Yeah. To, the theme of today's program may be facts don't matter or. Oh yeah. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. Screw your feel. Screw your facts. The feelings are what matter. We feel like this is doing something great. So, I mean, that's kind of exactly what we're working with right now. Yeah. We, we feel like inflation proofing is a better, better spend of the money. So we'll create this narrative, this false narrative to. Yeah support that we think that you know government jobs are better than private sector jobs so we'll create this false narrative that that we need to have the government needs to create more jobs to soak up the workforce i Oof. yeah maybe so michael but it but the the fa facts do matter um facts matter on the inflation proofing uh, uh issue on the on the proposed consolidation of the of the earnings reserve and uh, and the corpus facts matter there facts matter here the facts are We've now got we've now got more jobs and we've got people. We don't need government adding to the problem by by, you know, creating more, uh, creating more. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm with you 100 <clears throat> percent. Again, all these facts, Brad, they're just so painful. Nobody's going to listen to them. Um, all right. Give me a tease for number three here. Number three is uh, uh, the, the Department of Natural Resources has come up with a new plan for trying to incentivize <laughs> uh, uh, drilling in the Cook Inlet, uh, and uh, and I think it's the wrong way to go. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Oh, man. All right, we got to go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return with more. Brad Keith Lee, the weekly top three. It's on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Back with more right after this. Regularly heard on American radio. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable. That's really what it's about, though, Brad, right? I mean, look at this stuff. That is the theme of today's show. I mean, we're going to make the numbers fit our, our, uh, our, our, our objective. This is what we want, so let's make the numbers fit that. Oh, let's create more jobs because we have more jobs and we've got people to do it, but let's create even more jobs because that's doing something. Um, I mean, none of that stuff matters because, oh, well, you know, it's we again, it, it goes all back to that hubris of, well, we know better than you what you're, you know, we know. We know. You guys, you poor, poor, pitiful kids, just sit in the back corner. We'll, we'll massage everything to show you exactly what we want you to see, and then we're going to do what we want anyway in the long run. That's kind of what's going on right now. Yeah, this, the thing about jobs, I mean, the only argument that's left um, about 
for people that wanted to create, you know, jobs, we need to pass a big capital budget because we need to have jobs. We need to pass, you know, old tax credits because we need jobs on the North Slope. So we need to subsidize the creation of those jobs out there by taking money out of the hands of middle and lower income Alaska families. The only thing that's left um, is, is basically from a legislator standpoint, we need to create these jobs because I want you to be dependent on me. <laughs> I want you to have to, to have to, you know, thank me. I want you to have to, you know, be a, a come a kowtow to me uh, because I, I want to be the one that controls your job as opposed to the private sector out there. So I'm going to I'm going to continue to create jobs because I want you dependent on me. I, I don't care if it exacerbates the problem in the private sector because I want you dependent on me. Well, and we're disconnected uh, from the private sector, too, on top of that. Right. I mean, on top of everything else, we're disconnected from the private sector. So what does it matter? Uh, and what you're talking about is exactly what Brian says here. You mean it pulls people from productive jobs to work in government positions? That's exactly what we're talking about. And remember, I mean, the, the whole premise of this, and you have to understand it from an intellectual standpoint, and I, I think Brad, Brad agrees with me on this, when you look at it in the long run, government is a net consumer. They do not produce anything. Now, they regulate, they do some other things, but there is no production. Only the private sector, only the free market is a producer. It creates something from nothing. It creates wealth. Government consumes those things, and, and it may spread the wealth, but it does not produce anything. Am I wrong, Brad? No, you're not wrong. I, I would I would change Brian's statement, which you just pulled. I, I would thank you. I would change Brian's uh, statement in one regard: pulls people from productive jobs to work in pseudo. I would say pseudo government positions because what 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 Click would tell you, for example, is all the construction budget goes to private contractors. And that, and that those private contractors hire people to do the construction jobs that are that are funded by by the capital budget. So he would say it's helping out the private economy uh, by creating all these private contractor jobs. But it's really it's pseudo government jobs, right? It's it's funded by government. The only reason those jobs are exist in that way is because government funded them. So so even though they're in the private sector, they're pseudo government government jobs. Right. Well, and, so, and sometimes you know, I'm not talking about you know, sometimes the argument is look we need gov more government employees because we've got uh, because we've got uh, uh, you know, we got we got spare people laying around. Sometimes that sometimes, you know, better better put uh, that 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 is the argument some people make. But the argument that I usually hear up here is oh we need we need more people working on these pseudo government, uh, uh, on these government projects. They may be in the private sector, but we need more people working on these government projects. So we need to pull money out of the out of middle and lower income Alaska families through PFD cuts to fund these to fund these government projects to to employ these people. That's that's the problem. It's not it's not just we need more government employees. It's we need more government directed money that controls right. the private sector. And so what Click wants is he wants people in the construction industry to say, oh, Click, you created my job. Thank you very much. And, and you know, I, I'm going to vote for you because you create jobs uh, for me. That's that's what's that's what's really going on here. So I, my only my point is we don't need to do that anymore. The private right. sector is creating enough jobs, too many jobs. Thank right. You very much. Yeah. Uh, on its own. It doesn't it doesn't need that 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 additional stimulus of government contracts.
out there to create even more jobs. And all it does is create more government dependency again, because you have whole businesses that are that are basing their entire business model on that government spend. Uh, I mean, so it creates more government dependency. And you're right. I think it then does become about power. Oh, look at me. You have to come to me to ask for that money. Um, and that is that is a very dangerous road to hoe. Uh, let's put it that way. Uh, final final little blurb here. Anthony says the reality is basically this: government in a vacuum is an entropic system. Without feeding it resources from elsewhere, it would slowly die off and become irrelevant. You cannot create something from nothing. That's what government making jobs is, and he's a hundred percent true. It, you know, and or the jobs are short lived, or they have to keep being fed from the public coffers. We're creating a dependency society. And that's it. All right, we got to jump back in. Here we go. <clears throat> the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Let's uh, let's do this. Here we go. All right, Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, the weekly top three. This is the third segment, and that means we're on to number three. Uh, Brad, you've been talking about this for a while, cooking lit oil and gas. What can we do? There's been a whole bunch of ideas thrown at the wall. Each one seems to be worse than the other. And now we've got a new one, which is, well, we'll just, you know, basically give them the lease royalty free, and that'll drive them to the market. Give me, give me your thoughts on this. So DNR has proposed a new uh, a new lease form for the next Cook Inlet lease sale. Um, uh, that uh, the headlines of the article in the Alaska Beacon and now being picked up by other publications. I saw it in the ADN uh, yesterday or this morning. Uh, the headline is Alaska offering royalty free lease terms to try to sim- stimulate new Cook Inlet natural gas uh, development. Uh, the basic article uh, is in the is in the Beacon. If anybody will, just wants to find it. Uh, uh, quickly, and it's and it's talking about a new lease form that that they're going to go out with in the next lease sale. They're proposing to go out with in the next lease sale that that doesn't have a royalty term, not a not the typical one eighth or fifteen percent or sometimes twenty percent. The not the typical royalty term. The royalty term will be a net a, a net what's called a net profits interest uh, royalty, and basically that royalty term is government will share in any profits at, at a certain at a certain percentage government will share in any profits produced from uh any any fines and any production from the lease essentially allows the companies to recover their entire costs before they have to give the government anything that's typically what happens with taxes i mean that's that's what the that's what the tax code is for to to have government share in government re- achieve a, a share of the profits after uh, after expenses royalty is 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 a base term typically a base term that says you will pay uh, a certain amount regardless of whether i mean there's 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 rental le- rental lease rentals which is you'll pay a certain amount regardless of what you do with the lease and if you develop the lease you'll pay a certain amount a share of the revenues uh, to government, uh, regardless of uh, of whether you're making a profit or not, that's the typical that's the typical royalty royalty term, and the and the royalty term that's used 
widely in the state. There are a few net profits leases on the oil side up on the North Slope uh, in an era when we were, when DNR went off on this frolic and detour up there. But uh, mostly, uh, uh, mostly they are base, base royalty uh, leases. I think all of them, the Cook Inlet up, up until now have been, have been uh, a set royalty rate uh, uh, leases. The, the reason, reason DNR is doing this is because obviously they're trying to incentivize uh, additional production in the uh, additional development uh, of, of natural gas resources in the Cook Inlet, given the South Central's uh, uh, gas situation. But there are, uh, there are different, there are other ways to do this. I mean, DNR already has the authority to reduce lease, uh, reduce royalties if a producer comes in and demonstrates that the production wouldn't occur uh, at the current royalty rate, that the cost would be too high, the producer wouldn't wouldn't uh, wouldn't go forward with the with the production, and and make an argument that by reducing the royalty rate to a certain amount, it will cause the producer to go ahead and develop, or cause the producer to go ahead and make the additional expenditures, the additional investment necessary to do it. So, DNR already has the authority to vary the royalty rate up and down. Uh, uh, or down rather, uh, depending upon depending upon the circumstances. Here, what they're proposing to do is is beyond that, and just saying, "Oh, we'll, we'll, we won't charge royalty at all. We'll just go to zero from the outset, and we'll share in the profits if uh, if you produce any uh, net profits uh, from uh, from uh, subsequently from production." And I, that's just too to me. That's too far. I mean, right. DNR already has the authority to reduce royalties when it needs to. Um, it can do it on a case by case basis. In fact, in the in the same uh, Petroleum News Alaska uh, edition, this week's Petroleum News Alaska that talks about this proposal, there's another article talking about DNR agreeing to reduce the royalty rate on the steelhead uh, production platform on the oil side uh, for Hillcorp in the Cook Inlet. I mean, there's it shows that they're that they that they have the authority and are exercising the authority. To reduce the royalty rate, this is sort of a race to the bottom. This is, <laughs> this is. We'll just give it all up. Uh, we won't, we won't have any royalty. Uh, please go forward with your with your project. Right. And if you ever eke out any 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 uh, uh, profits, uh, uh, we'll share right. it then. Please produce it, it, it for us. Please produce it for us. We'll give you money to produce it for us. Essentially, at this point, um, and like we said, anytime that there's a net profit tax. You know who's going to lose. That would be us. We're going to lose if there's a net profit tax because, uh, you know, they've got a whole floor full of sharp penciled accountants and we are six years behind on the audits for the current stuff that we have already. Yeah, it's um, it, it's just a it's a I mean, I it, I'll say this. It's better than giving the producers money in the ter in in terms of credits. It's it's better than that. At least we're not. We're not taking money from middle and lower income Alaska families through PFD cuts and transferring it, transferring it over to producers like we are uh, on the slope with the with the credits up there. Uh, at least we're not doing that. At least it's better than that. But it's but it but it but we don't need to be we, we shouldn't be racing to the bottom by saying, well, we'll just give up on royalties entirely. The DNR has got enough flexibility, enough authority to address these things on a case by case basis. You know, so, so you got a producer who, who makes a big find on these leases, right? Let's, let's say, you know, another, a PICA, a Cook Inlet equivalent of PICA is found uh, in the, uh, in, in the Cook Inlet where they're going to make profits hand over, hand over fist. Um, and, 
And basically we're saying, well, because you did it, because you happen to find it during this era that we decided not to, that we had decided to have net profits leases, we don't get any royalty from it. Uh, even though, even though it's a huge discovery, even though it's a great thing, we don't get any royalty from it, uh, even though you don't need it. So we, we ought to, I mean, what we ought to do always is go out with royalty leases and then be clear that we're, as they have the authority to do, we're willing to negotiate the royalty down. If you can demonstrate to us right. that, that you need that relief in order to, uh, in order to right. develop that project, you're just, you're giving money away. You're giving money away to people who don't need it in order to attract, to attract people who do need it, but you've got the authority, existing authority to deal with those people who do need it anyway, without giving money away to the people who don't need it. Yeah. And, it, and of course I couldn't find anything in this article talking about this proposal for a no royalty. There's no sunset on it. It's like, as long as you have the lease, there's no, there's no, the first five years, the first 10 years, once we hit a specific area, then it changes I mean, it's it's just here you go. Let me hand it to you on a silver platter, and uh, you know, it, it it makes no sense uh, when, like you said, if they hit a big find out there, there should be some caveat that said, okay, if you hit a certain specific thing, there should be some escalators built into it, uh, or at least a, a sunset or a timeline on this to make it happen. Yeah, timelines. I mean, you, you could you could put a timeline in, but that's. I mean, you're just really complicating things now. It, it, we, we've, we've got it all set up. We've got the authority set up to negotiate royalty reductions on an individual basis. If you can demonstrate to us that you need it and you can set you can, you can set production limits, you can set timelines, you can set sunset provisions on all that and, and, and deal with it on a case by case basis. There's no need to give it away in blank. To everybody, even if they don't need it, ultimately find something that they that they don't need royalty relief on. There's no way, there's no reason to be to have given it away in blank. So I, yeah, there's there's no there's no caveats on it uh, uh, in the in the lease terms. Usually that's because it's too complicated to try that to try to layer that on. <laughs> you, you layer that on in a specific right. case. So your we, yeah. So your argument is create a regular lease oil royalties as it there, but tell them at the outset before the bidding starts, we'd be willing to turn these royalties way down, maybe even to zero for a period of time, but it would still be baked into the actual lease itself. Right. And you've got to demonstrate we'll be we'll be willing and the authority's already there. I mean it's already in the regulations, already in the statutes. We so maybe you need to, you know, look, hey, look at this statute over here. Um, of course we don't our legislature facts. doesn't observe. I statutes, mean what so facts maybe that's the problem. But you look at this statute over here before you submit your lease, because you know, we're gonna be willing to we're gonna be willing to be responsive. But you gotta to demonstrate to us that you need it uh before before we're willing to uh, before we're willing to exercise that. Instead of just, yeah, here you go. Right. <laughs> you all exactly. get zero royalties. Uh, good luck. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is going to be less than two minutes here? What do you think is going to be the outcome of this if they are able to go through? Because, I mean, we're voices in the wilderness here. Nobody's listening to you and I. So, I mean, what, I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to be, trying to be uh, realistic here. Uh, I mean, what, what, what do you think is going to happen uh, with this if it does? Do you think it's going to encourage or what do you think is going to happen? In all honesty, Michael, I think it's going to act as a windfall to producers who were otherwise going to going to submit bids on these leases anyway. Um, and and I think it's going to you know they're going to say, oh well, you know I did it because 
of these lease terms when in fact they were already looking at the prospects and uh, and evaluating whether to, to bid on them to know that already knowing that the statute's there that they can negotiate down uh, if they need to so I think it's just a I think it's just a windfall profit frankly to uh, to those who are otherwise going to participate in any event and the state's going to lose out on that revenue in the long run forever essentially on those uh, on those leases well all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you uh, coming on board. Thanks for being part of it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Folks, we're out of time for today, uh, for this hour, not for the whole show, just for this hour. Brad Keithley has been our guest. We got more coming up. We're going to do a little recap, a little uh, chit chat in the next segment. And then uh, Chris Story is going to come in and help us with our now that Brad has bloodied us from head to toe, he's going to come in and apply the soothing balm. We're going to be back. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense Radio. I mean, why aren't we in charge, Brad? I mean, that's, you know, just, you know, why are we in charge? I mean, we could fix all this. It just it makes no sense what's going on right now with all the stuff that's happening. Michael, we, we thought not that we were going to be in charge, but we thought we were going to have a governor. I mean, all this stuff, all this stuff goes back to the governor. Right? Yes, yes. The, the permanent fund board is a, uh, unlike other permanent fund boards who have been appointed in part by prior governors and, and, and the current governor. This permanent fund board now, because Dunleavy's in his second term, has been appointed entirely by entirely by. Uh, the current governor, uh, the arguments that some make about big cap for big capital projects, you know, that the governor has the veto pen. He can say, look, we're not going to, we're not going to spend that money. It no longer makes sense. Um, to create jobs. And, right. Yeah. To create jobs. And now DNR, I mean, DNR is run by a gubernatorial appointee, um, the, the commissioner of uh, the department of natural resources is the commissioner of the department of natural resources that's going out with this stuff. So, you know, we, not that we were going to be in charge, but we thought we had somebody who was consistent with the way we think, who who is in charge, who was elected, you know, six years ago or five years ago and was, was reelected one year ago. But it's not turning out that way. It's turning out uh, uh, to be uh, to be a different administration than I think we thought uh, we thought we were getting. Yeah, the whole uh, permanent fund board being all Dunleavy appointees is the one that really sticks out to me and sticks in my craw that these are his people that are making these choices to bamboozle us in a way that is just, um, it's offensive. It really is just offensive at this point. Um, all right, Brad, uh, well, you're back in town. How was the how was the music festival? Music festival was great. I made it back halfway. I'm at my mother's home, my mother's hometown at my house uh at my house here so i made it i made it to illinois i'm gonna make it the rest of the way here the week after next um but it, it music festival was great it was a, a wonderful time seeing friends and and listening to to great music music i enjoy and uh and seeing cape breton i mean cape breton so cape breton's just sort of new england on steroids right the trees right. turn up there they have all sorts of colors of trees and and it's just a, it's a beautiful time of the year. So it was, it was a fun place to go. Camp something, I, something I do every fall. Something you do every fall. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's uh, definitely, uh, uh, definitely something to look forward to. All right. Well, Brad, 
Uh, final thoughts here. The last two. My dog is whining behind me. He might need to go out. I don't know what that means yet. Uh, we're still learning each other's language. Um, uh, although I let him out right before the show. We'll see what happens here. Uh, what uh, uh, final thoughts here? Uh, the last couple, three minutes here of the program uh, for you. <laughs> you may need to let the dog. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I may need to go. Final thoughts are that that I, I think truth has been you know truth is a truth is a victim is, is, is sort of the theme of this show. Look, the permanent fund board is a problem. The permanent fund board has turned out to be a problem. This sort of this whole argument about consolidating the earnings reserve account and and the corpus is is an effort I think to 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 manipulate. Uh, the public, the facts they're using is an effort to manipulate the public in a way to uh, to support uh, that board uh, proposal. And and I think that leads us in the wrong direction. As I as you and I have talked about on the show, as you've talked about a number of times, all that does is set up the set up the ability to drain the corpus down, as I wrote last week in the column, down to zero potentially by by 2050. Um, all this does is set up the all the the argument about the inflation proofing does is set up the argument to continue to drain the permanent fund dividend. So it's, it's a real disappointment. What the board's up to is a real disappointment. And as I said on the show last week, and, and we'll keep saying, I think it's time to look at sunsetting the board and, and restructuring the board in a way that gives us a much more professional outcome. Yeah. I mean, what gets me is the disingenuousness of what they're doing. And then of course, the other thing that infuriates me that I talked about last week was James Brooks just kind of complicity in this i mean you know you're james has always written i thought very usually very well and usually he has some kind of you know balancing in there and everything else but at this point he's just completely parroting the narrative that's coming out of bert stedman and the permanent fund board at this point well there's not there's not anybody i mean maybe rob will step up or shower will step up or others will step up and talk about it from a uh or Ben will step up and talk about it from a legislative standpoint. James usually will will do balance when a legislator is talking about the other side of the issue. Maybe they'll step up and start talking about this issue. But uh, uh, yeah, right now he's just he is all all he's doing is parroting what the permanent fund board is saying. And if he goes for for a diversity quote, it's or to Stedman, who's 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 in the same lockstep. Stedman, who's the author of the two four billion dollar ad hoc uh, contributions to the permanent or to the inflation proofing that, that, that has put it in an excess position. So, well, um, and, and that chart, I, I, that chart really lays out, you know, where we are and why we are where we are. That's the, the, that chart is, says it all pretty much. Yeah. Well, it'll be the, it'll be the, as I said, this is a preview. It'll be the, the, the base chart in uh, this coming week's landmine column. So, if anybody wants to grab back back at it, it's uh, it's either on Twitter yesterday or it'll be in the landmine column uh, on yeah, Friday. I'll drop a link to the chart <clears throat> right now here. Let me just drop a link to this chart in the chat room so folks can go take a look at it. All right. Well, Brad, thank you so much. Uh, we look forward to next week and uh, we'll see what uh, we'll see what transpires between now and then. Should be an interesting time as we get closer to the start. <laughs> the start of the session. It's already genning yep. up. You can see the things already starting to work up. All right, Brad, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Brad, have, a good, have, have a good week with your dog. Oh, yeah. Well, it's going to be exciting. We'll, we'll put it that way. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate it. Okay, folks, that uh, 
brings us over to uh, hour two, which is about to start right now. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's uh, let's get to it. Here we go. Got to kill all this stuff here, and we are ready. Hour two is right now. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska. This is your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello and good morning to you. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Big Radio Show. It is uh, the Michael Duke Show, and it is the Tuesday edition of the program. Uh, we just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, who comes on board every week to give us the weekly top three, his three big items that he sees going on in state government for that week. And uh, this week was uh, uh, especially interesting and entertaining to see exactly how the narratives are being formulated uh, around the country, how the narratives are being formed and what people are saying and um, how we're essentially being lied to. That's essentially what's going on. We're being lied to by um, by the, the permanent fund board, uh, by people like Bert Stedman, uh, by those folks who continue to say we're in a crisis and the crisis is real, and I created the crisis, but I'm not going to tell you that. Um, it is just a, uh, it's just an amazing thing to watch, and uh, I got to be honest with you, it is probably one of the more frustra- uh, frustrating aspects of uh, what I do on a daily basis, because to see this, to see the absolute, um, um I just boldness, just the 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 absolute brashness of a move like this, where they take it. And again, I'm I'm trying to to I'm more dumbing it down for me than for anybody else. But you know, as Brad describes these quarterly reports from the Permanent Fund Board, you know, when they say, "Oh, look, this is here's what's going on, and here's how much we're going to have in there, and here's what's going," again, um, it's like taking a look. It's like taking a snapshot of your bank account. And saying, if you keep paying your rent over the next, uh, or your mortgage over the next, uh, you know, four months, five months, six months, you'll be out of money. Uh, but of course, all they're showing is your current balance, and they show no future deposits into your checking account uh, over the course of the next four months. And of course, if any of us 
had uh you know had no had our income immediately stop and over the next four months we're going to draw down our balance that's that makes sense but see the problem is is that they're ignoring any future deposits or earnings that the fir- that the fund may have so they're accounting for all the they're accounting for all the uh, 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 all the stuff all the stuff that's going to be spent but they're not accounting for any of the income that may come over the next uh, you know over the next six months three months six months 12 months and so this is this is the story that we're being told and the problem is is because most people won't take the time to dive down into the issues because most people won't take the time to um, to understand how this how this works then they just go uh-huh 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 and that's why you got people like James Brooks and others who are supposed to be the guardians of truth, right? The 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 fifth estate. They're supposed to be the guardians of truth. They're supposed to give it, give us the straight dope from from uh, from all perspectives and everything else. And um, instead, what we're getting is we're getting a parroting of the mantra and the story that uh, that the powers that be want us to see. We're not we're not seeing a deep dive. We're not seeing a um, you know, a, a look or an actual analysis of the numbers uh, or the or the dollars that they're quoting in these reports or everything like that. And instead, they just come out and say, well, you know, what we need is we just need a we just need a constitutional amendment so that we can have access to the corpus of the fund. Which has been the that's been the goal the whole time, in case you haven't figured that out. Uh, I've been warning about this for. 20 years. <laughs> I mean, literally 20 years, 25 years I've been doing this show, probably a couple of years in, I could see that the move on this was really all about getting access to the corpus of the fund, which, of course, is constitutionally protected. But what they're talking about now is a constitutional amendment that will give them access to that uh, pot of money. And, and in an eventuality, that money will all be gone because these people, these being uh, the legislature, this legislature and past legislature, they cannot control their appetite for spending. I mean, this whole argument can be boiled down to basically a single question. Do we have a spending problem or do we have a revenue problem in this state? And the answer is, we have a spending problem, and we've had a spending problem, and that spending problem has now become a revenue problem. So now we have both. Now we have both a spending problem and a revenue problem, and that crisis came to a head in 2016, 2017, when uh, Walker uh, vetoed the PFD, and that's where we've been at this this inflection point this whole time. That's where we've been at this entire time, waiting for that whole thing to be, uh, you know, to, to be decided and finalized. And they don't have the they don't have the political will to go in and change the formula. Uh, and so they are, you know, they they are just continuing. They're going to continue on. It's going to be the path of least resistance is what they're doing right now. They're going to continue on this path of least resistance until I guess until they get access to the fund and whatever they need. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be uh, an interesting it's gonna be an interesting couple of years. Let's put it that way. Um, all right, so we can continue to talk about that. I do have some other headlines to discuss, and uh, we can uh, 
talk about some of those things as well. And I've decided that I'm going to go ahead and open up the phone lines this morning and give you a chance to talk about the things that you want to talk about here in the next two segments before we pick it up. Chris Story is going to be joining us at the end of the show this morning, and uh, he and I are going to talk about well something. I don't know what I don't know what our next uh, um, I don't know what our next uh, uh, topic is going to be, um, and uh, we'll we'll do it. This is a good question. This is a question I didn't I didn't see before, and I apologize. Um, um, why does Brad think the permanent fund board is doing Bert Stedman's bidding? Well, that's a good question. That's a, I mean, I think that's a legitimate good question. Why do you think that they are doing that? He, that they're doing Brad's bidding? I don't know. I personally don't know at this point. Is there something in it for somebody else? Uh, I mean, I've heard all kinds of whispers and rumors over the last two years about some of the things that. Uh, the senator from Sitka has been involved in that uh, may benefit him or his family in the long run, but I've never had any, never had any, uh, uh, you know, real things pointed out or proof, uh, so to speak. But maybe there's something in there. I don't know. I I just, I just don't know. Just don't know. Um, all right. So we're going to continue on here and uh, uh, see what you guys have to say. So let me open up the phone lines. 907-433. 3150 907-433-3150. If you'd like to sound off, we'd love to hear what you have to say this morning um, and, uh, you know, give us your thoughts on what's going on. Some spooky stuff took place uh, this weekend, and it wasn't here, but it does affect us uh, in the long run uh, and is a little bit of a, of a, a little a little spooky for those of you who do a lot of traveling. An off-duty Alaska Airlines pilot was taking a ride on Sunday on a flight out of Everett, Washington, um, and he apparently attempted to shut down the engines in flight and had to be subdued by the pilot and the co-pilot. It was a Horizon Air flight, and it was going from Everett to San Francisco. Uh, It ended up being diverted to Portland, where it landed safely. The Alaska Airlines pilot, who was riding in a deadhead flight on a jump seat in the uh, on the flight deck, was arrested and jailed on suspicion of 82 counts of a. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh, but I'm just thinking 82 counts of attempted murder and other crimes. Uh, Alaska Airlines pilot Joseph Emerson, 44, was arrested by the Port of Portland police and booked into jail on 4 a.m. Monday. He's expected to be arraigned today in Portland. He's a California resident with ties to Seattle. He's been a commercial pilot since 2001 and has flown with Alaska Airlines since 2016. Um, the authorities really didn't have anything to say as to what exactly happened, but there were, of course, logs of the flight recorder. And there are, you know, there's a whole community of people out there who do nothing but monitor the airwaves for uh, pilot to tower communications and everything. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. In an audio recording of the exchange, one crew member briefed an air traffic controller on the situation after the threat was dealt with. And he said, I'll give you a heads up. We just got a guy that tried to shut the engines down out of the cockpit. It doesn't seem like he's causing any issues at the back. I think he's subdued, but we want law enforcement uh, as soon as we get to the ground. Um, and so <clears throat> they did say that at that point he was, um, the uh, that he was a level four threat. That's the highest level that indicates a breach of the flight crew and compartment. Of course, he was a pilot and he was in the jump seat uh, 
um, for for the flight. So, uh, of course, he was in the cockpit. They said now they've removed him and, and everything else. No no word as to, you know, what the deal was. He tried to shut the engines down by engaging the fire suppression system in the engine. So, like, it's there in case the engine gets, catches fire, it cuts the fuel line, and then uh, uh, releases Halon into the engine. So it would have shut the engine off, like, right now if it had, uh, if it had done it. But um, anyway, interesting, um, interesting situation. But again, all's well that ends well. No reason, again, no reason why he might do that. I mean, if I, I just, I just have to say, if you're going to go and do something, if you decided that you want to end your own life, why you would try to end the lives of nearly a hundred other people at the same time? I mean, I guess that's why we can't understand insanity because then we would be insane if we could understand insanity. But there you go. Um, we'll we'll see what happens. So uh, just. Fly the friendly skies. Uh, well, that, no, wait, that's the other one. That's not Alaska's. Anyway, uh, definitely a troubling, uh, troubling situation there. Um, also in the news, Vic Fisher, who is the uh, a father of Alaskan statehood and one of the um, one of the uh, constitutional convention delegates for the uh, original Alaska Constitution. Has died. He died on Sunday evening at the age of 99. Uh, Vic was an interesting cat. I had him on my program several times over the years as the last living framer of the Constitution. Um, he was, um, you know, he was sort of the go-to when it came to what was happening during the uh, during the the framing and what was happening, uh, you know, during those time frames. Uh, didn't always agree with him, but uh, always thought that he was a, a straight shooter and uh, and had a good head on his shoulders. Uh, he was elected as a delegate to the Alaska Constitutional Convention in 1955. He was only 31 years old uh, at the time, and he's got quite a history. Uh, World War II and and uh, uh, and everything else. He fought in the he fought in the in the big war. And uh, he has been a stalwart advocate for many things, including um, not opening up the PFD, or excuse me, not opening up the Constitution to a constitutional convention. That was one of the things that he last fought about in this last go-around, is that he was vehemently opposed to uh, opening up the Constitution for any discussions um, or for any kind of constitutional convention. So... Our thoughts, uh, our thoughts go out with his family. But 99 years, he had a heck of a good run. Uh, so Vic Fisher has passed away. We've lost a little bit more of history uh, that we uh, that we may have had in the past. All right, we got to go. <clears throat> We're going to be right back. The Michael Duke Show continues. Phone lines are open if you want to sound off. 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. We continue with more in just a moment. Any topic is fair game for the next segment. Chris Story joins us in the last one. Back with more right after this on The Michael Duke Show. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. 
Okay, let me check in with uh, let me check in with my co-pilot here for a second here because he's been making a little noise. I opened the door for him, but he's back. So hold on a second here. I'll give you a preview. Okay. So this is Bosco. What do you say? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is Bosco. He is a big... My last Boston, Ruger, was about two-thirds this size. This guy is a horse. He is an absolute horse. Aren't you? Aren't you a horse? Yeah. But he's a handsome boy. He just needed a little more attention. Bostons are very, very... Um, very, very much a one-person dog, and they want to be with you all the time. So, when they get left, when they get left at home, they're not happy, are you? Then they get hyper. Oh, who's that? Is that you? Is that you? Yeah, he's a good-looking dog. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. I know. Such a good dog. Yep. So he's just getting used to it. Getting used to being in the studio. All right, I'm gonna let you down now. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so, <clears throat> sorry about that. Yep, he is a love. That's, uh, that's it right there. Um, let me go back up here to see what you guys have been talking about. Terry says, are we surprised we're being lied to? No, I know. Um... The walrus is as crooked as a dog's hind leg. Um, Harold says, it's crazy out there. A drunk tried to crash the plane my daughter was on. Dang. Um, uh, all these issues are due to pilot shortages. Um, um, okay. That's why I won't fly anymore, says Amy. It's a little difficult in Alaska when you kind of have to fly to get anywhere. I mean, I suppose you could take the, the ferry or whatever, uh, but that just seems like, you know. Um, yeah. He's uh, three years old. He's three years old. He came out of a uh, – my friends who had him had rescued him out of a home where he was uh, mistreated a bit. At six months old. So they've had him for about three years now. So he's just over three years old. So that means I'm going to get me, get about 10 years of fun with him. 10, 12 years, 10, 11 years of fun with him. But he's a, he is a horse. This dog is so big compared to Ruger. It's just, I'm still blows my mind. Still absolutely just blows my mind. What's, uh, what's going on. Okay. Um, what else? What else we got going on here? I guess that's it. I'm. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm. I, I don't have anything else this morning other than my stories, uh, the news stories that I have laid out here. We're going to talk a little bit about AFN, and let me close that. Close that. We're going to talk about AFN, and we're going to talk about Doyon as well, and what's going on with the uh, Ambler Road project. Those will all be stories that we have going on. 
Um, and we should be ready to go here in just a minute. How was your weekend? I didn't get a chance to, uh, um, I didn't get a chance to, uh, to, to talk with you guys yesterday to know how your weekend goes. Terry loves him. Terry loves him. She says, what does Terry think of him? Terry loves him. He is, uh, and it's been so much, (laughs) Terry's, Terry got a new dog here about a year ago. And these dogs are just chasing each other around the house, having so much fun. It's been really crazy. But uh, it uh, definitely, definitely is interesting to, uh, definitely is interesting to watch these dogs interact. That's for sure. All right. Well, here we go. We're going to jump back into it. Maybe we'll get some phone calls. Maybe not. Otherwise, I'm just going to wander on here. Let's go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Okay, welcome back to the program, the Tuesday edition of the show. Almost said Monday again. I'm going to be messed up all week, but at least I got the uh, at least I got the the day card on the front of the video right this morning. Almost said Monday, but it was Tuesday. And Jeannie's mad about the Beach Boy music. Sorry, nothing like a little surfer rock to get you going on in the morning. Um, all right. So what do we have? Um, we have got, uh, one more segment and the phone lines are currently open right now. 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. If you would like to sound off any topic is fair game today, whatever you want to chat about, we would love to hear what you have to say. And, uh, we'd love for you to reach out and and, and give us a high five over the phone or whatever and just chat with us about whatever your thoughts are here this morning. Um, I've got a couple more stories, and then Chris Story is going to be joining us at the end of the hour um, to talk about, uh, I don't know what he's going to, I don't know what his topic is for today. It'll be something good. It'll be something good, that's for sure. Um, okay. Um, this story, I mean, it's a national story, and normally I don't, uh, I don't jump into national stories, but I thought it was interesting that they're at least starting to highlight this. Um, The highest number of known suspected terrorists have been apprehended on the U.S. border uh, in fiscal year 2023. So fiscal year ended in June 2023. There were 736 known or suspected terrorists, KSTs, apprehended at both the northern and the southern borders in fiscal year of 2023. 23, um, which is the highest, is the highest ever, (laughs) the highest ever. You know, what was totally interesting to me though, is that 66% of them, uh, 487 of the over 700, 66% of them were apprehended at the Northern border. We always think about border control as being mostly, you know, down at the Southern border. 66% 66% of these people were apprehended at the northern border. 249 were apprehended at the southwest border. 
as well. And this, of course, doesn't include what they call gotaways, which are the that's the official term that people who make it through either the port of entry or uh, or between the ports of entry. And uh, they're, they're estimating that somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 1.7 million gotaways coming into the country every year. And so it's, uh, it's a little troubling. In fact, even the chief, a former chief of ICE uh, said that some of these countries that they're coming from, of course, are sponsors of terrorism because they come from over 170 different countries, all these people. And he says, if you don't think a single one of the 107 million gotaways is coming from a country that sponsors terrorism, you're ignoring the data. That makes this a huge national security. Yeah, you think? Anyway, it was just a number that caught my eye to think this is the largest number that they're actually catching and admitting to. Uh, and when you think of 736 out of 1.7 million, oof, that's just a drop in the bucket. Just a drop in the bucket. Not anything we can necessarily do about it, except, of course, to be aware, be prepared, go forth armed, and uh, always have your head on a swivel. That's pretty much all you can do about most of this stuff, which is kind of amazing. Uh, all right, let's go over to the phones and see what you have to say. Uh, good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Randy in Fairbanks. Good morning, Randy. What's on your mind? Oh, just my two cents on the idea to change the structure of the permanent fund, you know, to combine the two sections of it, the... Um, the uh, earnings reserve account with the corpus. My thoughts on that is the reason they want to do that is simply because I think it's customary with the percent of market value uh, method of, of harvesting revenue from a big legacy fund. I think most big legacy funds use the permanent, use the uh, percent of market value system and that they have a combined fund it's just kind of an unusual situation i think i may be wrong about this but i think it's kind of unusual to have it like we have it where you have the corpus that you never touch and then you have the the uh, uh, earnings reserve account i guess maybe some places do that but for the permanent for the uh, pomv percent of market value they take the percent of the whole value of the whole fund and that's the way they usually do it so they just want to kind of go with kind of how other people do it, and I don't think there's anyone in the legislature or any place in Alaska that anybody that wants to drain off the permanent fund, the entire permanent fund, I think they just, they want it to grow, but they want to have a steady method of harvesting. Well, I mean, it, it's not unusual It's cool. not unusual to have an earnings account attached to a, to a large fund. That's not unusual. The percent of market value calculates the value of both the per corpus and the ERA at the same time. But drawing the POMV specifically from the ERA prevents an overdraw of the principal. That's the whole point behind it. The principal is protected and that they can only draw the POMV out of the earnings. Now, I'm not saying that the intent of people is to um, is to you know overdraw the corpus and drain the corpus. But they really want to get their hands on that money, Randy. They really want to be able to have access to those funds because they've got big plans for you and me. They've got big plans for stuff going on in their in their own minds. I'm not saying that anyone is is intentionally like, ah, 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 I want to drain the fund to zero. No, I'm saying that they have big ideas and that is a big pot of money. 
and that the unintended consequences eventually of that will be that it drains the fund to zero. But it's not unusual to have separate funds that are calculated together. Uh, and in this case, it was a brilliant idea because, again, it prevents the principal from being depleted by an overdraw of the uh, uh, of the POMV. That's why it's set up the way it is right now, where the corpus is protected, the principal is protected, the earnings spin off into a separate fund. Those two funds together are calculated for the POMV, but the money itself is drawn from the earnings reserve, and that, again, prevents an overdraw from happening on the principal. Okay. I, I just think, just want, again, want to make it clear that the original purpose of the permanent fund when it was created in 1976 was to provide for government services, and uh, that's what was achieved when they passed SB 26 in 2018. And in order to get there, uh, to create that legislation, it was uh, Bill Walker, he did what he did in 2016, which was uh, veto half of the PFD, which was very unpopular, of course, and killed his uh, political career. But he did it with the best of intentions to try to get to that point that we got to in 2018 and start using some of that those earnings for state services. Yeah, except for we didn't. That was the problem. For three years, none of those earnings were used. It wasn't until 2019 or 2020 that they actually used some of those earnings. Uh, that that he put aside and saved for three years. It just sat in the fund and did nothing, uh, other than I guess bolster the amount of the fund, uh, the overall earnings potential of the fund. But that's the problem, Randy. Is that it? It was not, you know, they, this doesn't make him a hero. And, and here's what kills me about you know your 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 idea of you know a two PFD thing and do this and a balanced budget and all this kind of stuff. If there is money on the table, they will spend it. That's the problem, Randy. Show me an instance where the only time that they've ever really put money away is when they had so much god-awful money they didn't know what to do with it. And that was in the early aughts when we were running under aces and we were, it was $105 a barrel oil into you know, 07, 08, 09, $150 barrel oil. And we were putting money away and we got an extra you know, uh, 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 heating payment from Palin and all that stuff. That's the only time we ever put money away like we did in the CBR. That's when the CBR had like $16 billion in it. But other than that, they have never seen a dollar that they didn't want to spend. So your idea of giving them access to more money and that somehow they develop fiscal responsibility based on that because we'll give them more money until they're fiscally responsible, as I've said in the past, is like giving a teenager a credit card and saying, you know, just give him an unlimited, deb- unlimited credit card and he'll be as responsible as he can be. Um, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever in my mind. Well, I'm for putting the 5% POMV annual draw into the Constitution so that they can never exceed it. I mean, they have not exceeded it at this point, but, you know, they could exceed it. But I'm for definitely having a limit so that we never threaten overall the the permanent fund. Well, if uh, if it remains the way it is right now as a split, they can't overdraw the permanent fund because they can only draw as much money out of the, the, the only way that they can overdraw it at this point is if they – uh, well, they can't overdraw it at this point. The way it's written now, even if they say, well, we don't want a 5% draw, we want a 7% draw, they can only draw as much money as in the earnings reserve, and then they're done. 
So you can't overdraw the permanent fund at this point. They could say, we want a 10% draw. They could they could bust the statute and ignore the statute as they've done before. And they could say, we want a 10% draw. And that wouldn't matter because it's only as much money as available in the earnings reserve account. That's it. So um, I, I just don't see why you would want to give them access to the corpus of the fund. That's the that that is a dangerous dangerous place to be in my opinion. Well, it's customary, but with many funds. But okay, I'll, I'll let you go. Thank you. All right, thank you. Appreciate your call. Uh, I mean, you could say it's customary with many funds, but it's also customary to have multiple funds and one is a stopgap. So this is not this is similar to uh, somebody mentions it's similar to a retirement fund. This is not rocket surgery. Giving legislators access to more money than they have right now, the track record is not good, folks. I mean, even ignore the labels, ignore the politics, ignore everything else. Just look at the track record of what legislatures in this state have done whenever they've had more and more increasing amounts of money. With few exceptions, they've spent it away. The only time, as I said, that they haven't spent it is when they had so much money they didn't know what to do with it, and then they were able to put it into the CBR. And by the way, we still owe the CBR a bunch of money. What are we going to do then? Oh, that's right. We're going to pass a statute that basically says that we don't have to pay that money back. I mean, that's fiscal that's fiscally responsible right there, don't you think? That is extremely responsible. But no, this is not unusual. Uh, somebody, I think it was, uh, who was it? Was it Tom? Uh, Timothy says, you won't say it, Mike, but I will. They deliberately want to do that so they can put their greedy fingers on it in the name of the children or otherwise. And like I said, I'm not saying that they don't want to put their hands on it. I think Randy's comment was, nobody is saying we just want to drain the fund. Well, no, of course they don't want to drain the fund. They, they want to use it. They want to have access to it. In their minds, they would never drain it all the way out, but we know... You know, we know what where the road to, with intentions is paved, right? We know exactly where the road with intentions is paved. All right. Um, we are coming up on the break. Chris Story is about to join us, and we're going to uh, talk with him here in just a moment. And we'll get our weekly uplift. How about that? The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return with more. Right after this. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Yeah, I just I just don't know how you can continue to put your uh, um, how you can continue to put your faith in an organization like the legislature that has continued to disappoint you with their track record. It's like, oh, just keep giving them more rope. Just keep giving them more rope. Just keep just keep going. Makes no sense to me. All right. Chris Story is about to join us to talk about the rat race. He's going to talk about the rat race. Let's get him on the line. See what he has to say. Uh, here as we go through. 
Hey, look, it's ringing. Got it to work again. Amazing. Escaping the rat race, to be specific. What did I say? Did I say something different than what you said? No, you said the rat race. I'm saying it's how to escape the rat race. So those are two different topics altogether. Fine. Well, I, I'm not the one with the messianic complex. You're the one that has the little promo that says you are light and our guide and, and all things, you know, it's just very messianic. I, I just don't understand you sometimes, Michael. I, I'm, I hate to call you out publicly like this. Well, you know, that was actually a listener who said that. Um, and uh, I, I, oh. I chuckled so much about it that I've turned it into a liner. So. Uh, all right forgiven yeah forgiven so it was i forgive you my son <laughs> whoa okay thank you father um so uh how you doing mr <clears throat> mr story how's it how's life treating you in the big city down there in homer on top fantastic. of fantastic no complaints <laughs> fantastic no complaint just you're so verbose this morning what's going on story what are you doing what's uh what's what be the haps not much <laughs> Hate you so much I'm just right kidding. now. Hate you so much right now. Uh, you know, you you had the, you've had that guest before though, haven't you? That's like, oh, it's like pulling teeth. Oh man, there, are, yeah, great. some guests where you're like, okay, so tell me about this, and they're like, yeah, not much, and I'm like, the wait a minute, uh, you, this is where you, mm-hmm. and I've actually at one point, I remember one guest was that way, and I asked a question, and it was like that same one word answer. And I said, no, I said, wait, this is an interview, and this is where the point where you expound off that idea and tell me more about it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, okay. I, <laughs> after, it's what's funny is after I did my, my several months at KBYR before you got there in Anchorage, I wrote a guide. It was about a 30 page guide, how to be an amazing, no, how to be a world-class guest on radio or podcast. Cause I, they, they shoved at you at that time, the production uh, crew and the, the, the engineer and the whole, anyway, they were shoving at me and you too, in the beginning, like what, six, maybe seven guests in a three hour period, sometimes yeah. just six. And yeah. um, my favorite one was um, John Oates. And, uh, and just, I just, I upset him so badly with my opening joke. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I said, I said, uh, you know, welcome to the program, Mr. Oates. Is it true that you've been bitter this entire time that it wasn't Oates and Hall? <laughs> and that's, that's, that's exactly what followed was silent. Oh, see, that's silence. a, fu- that's then, a funny, he, yeah. Then he came back with anger. He goes, I don't even understand the question. That's a ridiculous question. Why would it be Olson Hall? First of all, Daryl's older than I am. Secondly, Daryl's one who founded it. And I was like, I'm kidding. No, sir, I'm just kidding. I apologize. Please, let's move on. Uh, it was so awkward. So yeah. For the rest of the interview, it was almost like one-word answers. Like, oh, boy. Yeah, I really this, guy, this guy was so mad. And it's like some people have got no sense of humor, you know. Um, right. But like Oats and Hall would never work. It had to be Hall and Oats, right? Yeah. It had to be. Yeah, exactly. No, it's interesting. There is a, definitely an art to trying to draw people out in interviews. and uh, But some people are just almost beyond <laughs> – some people are almost just beyond hell. And then there's the other ones who do the nothing but the big run-on sentence, and you got to try and interject yourself in there. You know, So there's a balance in there, and uh, there's definitely an art to it. But uh, it was it was, it, it was interesting. Um, Brian says, that was a very funny stint. I was so confused. Brian, did you actually remember that show? Do you remember that show back in the old KBY? My God, man, that was 10 years ago, Chris. How did we get here? How did we get 10 years later? One day at a time. Oof. 
Okay. Um, let me just uh, see if there's anything else here that anybody said that was important. Uh, Barbara's talking about the assembly and the uh, illegal subdivision issue in Fairbanks. Barbara, we could talk about that tomorrow morning if you want. If you want to talk about that, I'll see if you want to get you or Tammy on. We could talk about that. Um, what else? The whole idea was to keep the fingers off the government, off that slice of the slice that would be direct. But yeah, no, the, the PFD, the whole permanent fund issue, it needs to remain separate. <clears throat> we'll get Chris's take on that one day. One day Chris will have something to say on that. Chris doesn't like the PFD very much, but he may maybe he has a thought on the permanent fund corpus and protecting well, Chris, that. Chris loves the PFD. Chris just doesn't want to uh, trade uh, security of that as it exists today for an income tax. So well. All. You, anyway. you know it's coming. You know it's coming regardless of what happens. No, nope. so, I refuse. I refuse <laughs> to accept that. It's like the guy in the background going, la, 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 la. All right, uh, we got to go here. The Michael Duke Show continues. Uh, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. Chris Story is our guest. Let's get to it. We're going to jump right into it here and tell us how to escape the rat race. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program. It is The Michael Duke Show. Chris Story is our guest. From Homer comes in every week to give us the uh, give us the straight dope. I mean, I shouldn't say dope around him, but uh, you know, gives us a, <laughs> gives us a straight scoop. He did hit me with the anti-messianic complex, the Messiah guilt this morning already. So I don't know exactly how to how to deal with this. Uh, Chris Story is going to tell us a little bit about escaping the rat race. Good morning, Mister Story. How are you, my friend? I'm going to tell you everything about escaping the rat race. Then once you've heard this. You can't go back. This will be it. It's over. This is it. So you're asking me to take the red pill or the blue pill is what you're doing. Which do you choose? Why, oh, why didn't I take the blue pill? Um, I guess I'll take the red pill. What? Uh, give, me, give me the rundown here. What is the secret to escaping the rat race? What are we talking about? Well, I look at it like this, and, and I'm not alone in this, but I amalgamated a number of philosophies and ideas into a very compressed, simplistic, easy to understand and digest set of principles that I, even I can understand and relate to and keep top of mind. Because as we move through life, it's easy to, to say, read a book or hear a sermon or hear a speech or be inspired, enlightened, informed by our guiding light, Michael Dukes, whatever. It's easy to get that flash of inspiration and then daily life regains its control over you because right. your day runs you versus you running your day and that right. leads into a life of somebody else's intentions for you so i took the the some thousand odd books in my library and said chris if you were to take from all these books and design a simple easy to digest understand and implement plan such that even you chris story could follow it on a daily basis. What would it look like? And I think it's first off understanding, acknowledging and recognizing there are two planes on which you can exist in life. Not the horizon plane that you just talked about earlier, not that plane. I'm talking about 
an, sort of an almost an existential plane or this idea that there are these two mindsets that exist. One is competitive and the other is creative. And if you wish to escape the rat race, you dial into the creative lane, you put on your blinker, move over. Sometimes when you're on the freeway, it takes a little while to move over. So you have to plan ahead before your exit and you have to start shifting lanes and dodging and diving and ducking in and out of traffic. And then you're able to, to switch lanes. So today is my version of how you can escape the rat race right now. And it may take a while, but you can escape it in your mind instantly. Does it? It's, there was a book by Robert G. Allen and Mark Victor Hansen called The Instant Millionaire. The concept was, okay, you may not have the million dollars today, but in, in an instant, you can change your mind, alter your mind, and create a plan whereby you could eventually have that million dollars. That could be health. It could be some form of wealth or relationship, happiness, whatever you want. Step one, to get out of the rat race, to escape it, you got to design your plan. And you may be living on somebody else's plan or purpose for you. Maybe just through inertia, you've ended up where you are, but it wasn't on or by design. It's maybe by demand. It's something that is acted upon you versus you doing intentionally. So first off, design your plan. And then secondly, couldn't get simpler, act on your plan. Take action immediately and make sure your plan includes waypoints and checkpoints and it's measurable so you can take action towards a destination. And then third and final, this is it. This is the cap in the bottle. This is putting the champagne into the bottle and the cork going in is hold your faith and have gratitude. Have faith and that's a belief and that's a knowing that this is going to occur or something better because it could change when you get to that exit. It might not be a Hardee's waiting for you. Maybe it's an Arby's. Maybe it's not a Wendy's. Maybe it's a Burger King. I'm just thinking back to my childhood trips <laughs> in Florida where I couldn't wait to see what was at the next exit. Uh, but then having gratitude, that's the ultimate grease with which you lubricate the entire plan. Because if you do not have gratitude for A, where you are, or B, where you're going, or C, the things that happen along the way, chances are really good you're going to deviate from this plan. So you got to design a plan, act on the plan, hold faith, and have gratitude for who you are and where you are today on your way to where you want to go. It couldn't be simpler, Michael. Right, and this means escaping the rat race, not necessarily um, physically in the short term, but at least mentally, right? Because you have a bigger, broader plan than where you are. You know, you may you may wash dishes at a diner, but your overall plan one day maybe is to own the diner. And so it's uh, you're not talking about escaping the physicality of your day-to-day -day grind, but of finding something greater and outside of that to put your hook your hopes and dreams and your and your uh, your your vision to, I guess, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I'm saying think of it as a being on a freeway. You may not be able to shift lanes immediately, but the best way to begin to shift lanes is to grow in place. Grow as tall as you can where you are with what you've got as you're moving forward towards the plan you've devised. And I tell you, when you go to work, or let's say you have a job that and you and I can't relate to this, Michael, but let's say you have a job you don't like. Well, if you grow in place and you grow to the capacity with which it will be recognizable to everybody that you have mastered this position, other opportunities can't help but fall in front of you. There is, the job you've got is taking you to a place you want to go if you'll grow in place to the fullness 
of that position, you can't help but spill over. The cup runneth over, and you'll you'll go into that other lane. Opportunities will avail themselves to you that you never right. thought possible. In, in the early 1900s, the railway business, across, the industry of railway across the United States was monopolized by no more than, say, three people. Three men, J.J. Hill being the largest, controlled the railway industry. And so people like Napoleon Hill and people like Wallace D. Waddles and others were telling you in their writings, in their books, were telling you, you may not be able to go and compete with J.J. Hill. You may not be able to go compete with an Andrew Carnegie if you want to get into the steel business. But there is something with which you can start today that you'll be in your own creative lane, not trying to compete against a steel trust or a railway magnet. And so they would talk about things like, the new electric trams that are showing up in cities. This is a vir- burgeoning business that you could get into. Of course, that's that's long since gone. And then they talked about airway, how in one day, travelers will be traveling by airplane. You know, it's like, but yeah, okay, that was then, this is now. The same kind of principles exist. There's a lot of people, Michael, that refer to themselves as creatives. And I can't stand that idea because they're <laughs> almost making themselves so special that, oh, we, the creatives, nope, sorry, every human being on earth is creative or has creative capacities within them. It's just, do you tap into it or not? That's a choice. So getting into the right. creative lane of life is where the real joy is found and it gets you out of it. It creates escape velocity away from what's considered a rat race where the circular track that goes round and round and you seem to get nowhere. You know, this part of this relies on uh, something that I've worked on for probably most of my adult life, which is this idea of having an expectation of abundance. Um, you mm-hmm. have to you have to expect it. You have to expect those things in your mind and constantly grab hold of your thoughts. Um, and I've been guilty. Of, like I said, I've struggled with it my whole life, uh, you know, where I get I get burned out. Right. I get down. I'm like, oh, there's so much work to do. I have so many things going on. I'm so stressed out about this stuff. And instead, I, I have to continually try and refocus my mind to this expectation of abundance of things are going to happen. You know, good things are going to happen. You know, opportunity is going to come to me. Money's going to come to me. This is going to be good. And and when you're in that rat race, when you're in that rut, you know, it's always the, you know, I've talked about it in the past, you know, it's that rut of people who are like, you know, go to, go to, go to, go to your job, go home, go to your job, go to home, go to your job, go to home, go to your job, go to the bar, go home, go to your job. You know, I mean, it's just like, and you've pretty soon you've tracked this rut that's six feet deep and you can't see over the edge of it. And that's all you could see is the rut. And you're like, you've got to climb out of that. You've got to say, okay, I may do my job, but my job is just there to pay the bills or do whatever. I've got to have something more. I've got to have something greater. And that's how you escape the rat race is that you create some kind of concept of something bigger. And like I said, whether it's something in the industry that you're in, you're the dishwasher who wants to become the diner owner, or whether it's something completely different, the new electric tram or whatever, You've got to have, you know, it it is something that will give you energy and excitement and will make you look at the day and jump out of bed and go, I can't wait to face the day. Not always, but in many ways and many times, that's what it'll do. Exactly. And I think you hit the right word, abundance. Uh, Another way to think of it is that in competition, you're competing for a place, right? Think about the, the 100 meter dash, whatever. There's one winner. Oh, sure. We give out a silver and a bronze but we all know there is a winner 
and the rest of them are losers. That's competition versus the creative plane, which is abundance. It's limitless. There's an endless supply. This isn't Pollyanna either. There is an endless supply of what you really want, not just what you may say you want or you might write down a certain goal that sounds appealing or you think you should write down. But if you truly get quiet and your inner knowing there is something you would like to do, begin or have or become, and you can do it. And the opportunity is limitless unto you if you'll create a plan, follow it and have faith and gratitude. You cannot help but win. I, I agree. Um, and this is probably the big struggle for most people, right, is that the mindset of this is the big struggle. Like I said, I've struggled with this attitude of abundance my whole life because, you know, maybe it's I don't feel like I'm worthy or I have just let the negativity run amok in my mind or maybe other people put you down or, you know, the, those closest to you don't believe in whatever you're dreaming of or whatever. But it's probably the biggest challenge is wrestling with that computer between your ears and keep telling it, nope, that's not the thought path I want to go down. I want to think about abundance. Mm -hmm. I want to think about that. That is that is where the, to me, that's, I used to call it the battlefield of the mind, right? You've got to go out on that battlefield every day and you've got to win. You've got to put down those bad, the, you know, the negativity, the bad thoughts, the 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 self, self-doubt and those kind of things. And it uh, it works, but it's, it is a lot of work to make it work, if I can work or that in there. Or it could be... It or it could be as simple as possible. Price Pritchett says, yep. focus on the landing. When you jump or take a leap, focus on the landing, not the means. The means will appear before you as you leap. Chris Story, the man from Homer. Folks, we're out of time. Tomorrow's another day. Thank you for joining us. The Michael Duke Show. Ooh, sorry. I just I got talking and looked up and realized I was five seconds away. All right. Uh, final thoughts, Chris, because I mean, I didn't mean to seal into it, but I mean, this is something that, like I said, if, if we all, we all have our foibles or struggles or whatever. And the one thing that I know works is an attitude of abundance. But the one thing that I struggle with personally, a lot of times is that attitude of abundance because I know that it mm -hmm. works. I've seen it work, but at the same time I struggle with it. So your words of advice for people wanting to get out of the rat race and how to make that more effective. What's your secret to staying in an attitude of abundance to get out of the rat race? I like the idea that, like you just said, it's a struggle or can be incredibly difficult. That's your viewpoint. If you change your viewpoint, you could just as easily say it is simple. It is so simple. Even a child could do it. How do children go from crawling to walking? That is a quantum leap. And we do it. We did it all the time as children. We could make it a lot simpler on ourselves by saying, this is easy. I'm going to leap and I'm going to have, that's where faith comes in because faith is the net under you as you leap going forward. And then gratitude is just simply an acknowledgement that it's really, it's a little bit out of your control and you're going to accept what comes based on the leap that you've made. You're not accepting what comes by sitting there. You're leaping forward and then having gratitude because you're focused on the end, the means will appear, and your plan is going to change constantly. I can't remember who said it, um, but they said that a rocket fails its way to the moon because it's always off course and adjusting, off course, adjusting. Same as air travel, whatever, great analogies. But if you just think about you leaping, it's as simple as leaping. Simple as saying, this is my objective and I'm going to go for it. It's about creativity, not competition. And I'm going to, I'm going to land here. Oh, along the way, 
change course a little bit. Yeah. And I wrote, born, I wrote Born to Live based on one quote from Napoleon Hill. With every adversity comes with it to see them equivalent or greater benefit. You do not know what's coming necessarily. You know where you're aiming. But even if you land somewhere else, it could be even better. Les Brown said, you know, if you, you know, aim for the moon, if you miss, you'll land among the stars. That's a great place to be. Yeah. Well, you're right. Maybe I'm looking at this wrong. Maybe it shouldn't be a battle of the mind every day. Maybe it should be something that's easy. And take a look Make at it, it with that childlike innocence to say it can be done. I mean, because children are amazing. You tell them that something could be done and they're like, okay, they believe it. And maybe we just need to fool ourselves a little bit in that regard. Fake it till we make it in that regard. Uh, and, and and one other thing, I know you've got to go, but no. one other thing, if you feel a lack of confidence in yourself, self-confidence is missing a little bit, I'd suggest to you you're, on, you're squarely on the competitive plane. And that's your signal and sign to move into something creative. And all of a sudden, self-confidence is in your hands in abundance. Yeah. But if you feel lack of self-confidence, it's because you see it as a competition stop that and see it as creativity and creation and you'll you'll that self-confidence goes away i mean the lack of self-confidence goes away <laughs> whoa wait a second uh, wait a minute all right chris story thank you my friend that's what i needed to hear today this, as, as always your segments is not about the listeners as much as i love the listeners it's about you giving me a little piece of advice that i probably needed to hear and it's always timely so Thank you, my friend. Love the listeners. Hate my callers. All right. See you, Michael. I appreciate it, my friend. I'll talk to you again soon. Uh, All right, Chris Story, the man from Homer. Folks, we are out of time for today, and we got to go. We're going to be back tomorrow. Mike Shower should be joining us. We'll probably talk about the borough, Fairbanks Borough Ordinance on private properties and subdivisions tomorrow. And uh, I'm ready. I'm ready for the short week. It's going to be good. On Thursday, uh, Jack Klaus with the Alaska Shriners is going to be joining us. We're going to be talking about the Shriners football game. I think that's it. I think that's it for today. All right. We will see you tomorrow. Thanks for being part of it. We look forward to it then. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense. Liberty-based. Free thinking Rodeo. See you then. our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show